Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons on The Horn. Hour two here on the Sports Complex on the Horn. Hour two, we'll get into NBA All-Star Weekend. Talk a little bit about Micah Parsons. Who is that? NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, we've already talked a little Texas basketball. We've talked a little uh, Texas baseball, a little Texas women's basketball, we should say. Maybe they get top billing at this point, being number five in the country, having a good weekend. Uh, we can talk all that. If you guys want to keep talking that, text line's open, 512 512- Four four seven three seven seven six. If you guys want to jump on there and keep the conversation going, and of course, a big fat poll today. What would you do to fix the NBA All Star Game? Send that text in, and we will get with that. I, I look, and I'll start off with the text that I just saw it come in. Uh, we'll get to that, and then we'll start talking some All Star Weekend uh, and get back to the text on here in a minute. But I do want to address this because I did mention this about someone sexing uh, the women's team. The men, maybe Vic Schaefer should coach the men's team. I told you it's just hard. Because everyone will transfer out if you teach that way. And we had Texas said more boys need to be coached like the women's team. They might actually learn something. And I agree they may learn something. There's a reason why that coaching is not done anymore at a high level in any male sport. Uh, why it's harder and harder to do. Is because there's a, there's a right way to do it. And there's a way to do it that is, that is bordering on the line of, okay, this is you know too much. Uh, there's a way to do that. And some of the coaches today that still in men's game do do that. And they have to pull it back a little bit. But they still go hard at their team. Uh, but they can't go as full force as, as women's teams do, but in, in men's they do hard. Uh, the reality is if you start to allow again and you cut away the transfer portal and you put people in those bad situations, there is way too many counts of this being done poorly. And the reality of what happened is way too many men's coaches uh, would come out and became uh, worse and worse about it, and it became a, day, a deal of uh, there was way too much uh, – trying to ruin kids' lives because that was a way that you felt you were able to hold over their head. Well, I'm not going to play you. I'm going to bench you. I will talk bad about you. I'll do all this. And so there's a right way and a wrong way to do it uh, of beating players down and telling them that they're no good. And there's ways you can do it where you build them back up in other ways. Vic Schaefer does a lot, a lot off of practice to help build his team back up for the things that he does to try and get them to understand why he needs perfection on the court. That's really hard to do. And a lot of people don't do that other part, and that's why it's gone away from that is because there was too many bad guys doing it and giving it a terrible name and doing it poorly, and it ends up making it to where it's just a unsustainable way of basketball because when you see those stories, everyone's going to get a bad name when you say, well, this guy, you know, when stories come out about players, about coaches, you know, physically abusing players, which, you know, that that's happened in women's basketball. A story of that comes out once a year, uh, basically. And, and there's, like, it's just, there's too much of that. There's places of withholding, uh, withholding living conditions and food and stuff like that that comes out of it. People trying to take away scholarships, people threatening to, to end careers. Uh, all of those things happen to try and get people to listen. And so there's a line in between it. I think there are coaches that do go hard at their players in the men's game. Uh, but it's just a different. It's just a different world. Uh, I've seen the practices on both sides, uh, and coaches get into guys on the men's team. It's not quite the same. It's just not quite the same. And also, there's a different relationship with some of these men. Uh, you know, if you're 19 years old and someone talks to you the way that you know, I've seen women's coaches talk to men. You they get into fights, and players would get into fights because it, it's downright disrespectful at times. 
Uh, but it's just a different relationship, and it's harder to have in that uh, male-male relationship. It's harder to have a lot of times. Just is what it is. Uh, so I, I, I agree that there is points of you do need tough love at points, and I think really good coaches continue to do that. Uh, but you have to have that line, and that got crossed way too many times in the men's game, and that's why you've got to see more player empowerment because you're basically making up for all the bad coaches who are trying to make it work and uh, they, they cost everyone else the good coaches because they couldn't handle it. Uh, it's a reality of what happened, and that's why you're at in 2024. You can't get away with things because the bad coaches ruined it, and that's a lot of ways in life, and it just sucks. Uh, what didn't suck was all of All-Star Weekend. What a bad transition. Uh, of all of All-Star Weekend, uh, we do get the Friday night. We do get the uh, celebrity game. We saw the LED court for the first time. It was pretty interesting to see where they were moving the three-point line at points, and they could add in little spots to make you know your, your points go up. They did on fire, and the guys who were on fire were able to, you know, they had the flames leading through them, and their points were doubled. I thought that was a cool, fun way to do it for a celebrity game. The celebrity games are normally pretty bad. It made it a little bit more fun and watchable. We also saw C.J. Stroud and Micah Parsons in the game. Micah Parsons wins the MVP of the celebrity game just going down and playing bully ball like he can do. C.J. Stroud went over, and I love the conversation with him and Stephen A. Smith, where C.J. Stroud comes over, and he's shooting the ball, and Stephen A. Smith goes, man, you just got to use your size and get inside. He goes, but I'm a shooter. And he goes, ah, yeah. <laughs> Shot ain't falling, man. Shot ain't falling. Uh, Michael Parsons, has, he basically just keeps going inside. The game wasn't great. It was uh, interesting to see the court, though, uh, with the LEDs on it and having everything be able to move around. That was interesting to see. Uh, and then, you know, Stephen A. Smith and, and Strain and Sharp also make it somewhat entertaining there. Uh, no, but it's a, it's a celebrity game. It's 6 o'clock on a Friday, so it's not a big deal in there. Then we have the Rising Stars games. Uh, it was Team Jalen ends up beating Team Detlef. Uh, Benedict Matherin wins the MVP. It was okay. Some of the teams didn't try as hard. You saw certain players trying to be too cool for school and then certain players trying to take it more seriously. Uh, Wimby and his team, Powell, actually lose in the in the semifinal to the G League team uh, because the G League team wanted to make a name for themselves and came out there trying to earn a spot, trying to earn the prize money. Uh, they get the win, but Team Jalen beats them, uh, Team Detlef, in the finals uh, to get the win there. We had the uh, skills challenge, which is pretty good. Anthony Edwards tries to say, uh, he said earlier in the week that he was going to shoot left-handed all weekend. He, in the first round, throws up three bricks with his left hand in the skills challenge and immediately got away from that. Uh, but Team All-Star did pretty well. The Team Pacers gets the win, though. Uh, Texas X, uh, Miles Turner, a part of that team with Benedict Matherin and uh, Tyrese Halliburton. They get the win uh, in the Kia skills challenge. In the three-point contest, Dame Lillard, Gets the win there. I do have the issue in the three-point contest. Three, Four guys tied. They can only take three in the next round. It's an all-star game. We're having fun, right? Why not put all four in? Who would have been upset about the fourth person being in? Was your time so time-sensitive that you couldn't have put another matchup in there? I don't get why. And they had to do a tiebreaker, which then took more time than if you would have just had all four go advance the next round, and we could have had a better tournament. I, I just didn't get why we had to do the tiebreaker instead of just allowing – uh, all four to move on. I would have let all four move on. I think it would have been more fun that way. Uh, that's just me. Dame Lillard, though, does get the win in the, the three-point shootout. Uh, did show all weekend that he can still hit that three at a very high level. We get to the slam dunk contest. Slam dunk contest was okay in the first round. Mac McClellan had some good dunks. Uh, and then Jalen Brown and credit. I will give credit to Jalen Brown because he was in the event. Because he said, stars need to get back into it, and I'm going to put my name in to be stars. But you could tell that Adam Silver 
made a big point to tell all the judges, we want stars back in this. So whatever you think the number is, give him like a point higher. And he made it to the finals and did not deserve to. He did not have anything great. He was the worst of the four dunkers. So he shouldn't have been in the finals. But I'll also say this. In the NBA Day Slam Dunk Contest, people will still say that early on with Spud Webb and Dominique Wilkins and that stuff, that was great, and it's not great now. Jalen Brown's dunks were better than any of those dunks back in the day. Spud Webb didn't do anything cool or big. Like it, Those dunks back in the day weren't great either. It was just you weren't expecting Vince Carter dunks. Once Vince Carter did, the reason the same dunk contest is down is because no one can beat uh, like four guys' dunks. Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon... And Vince Carter broke the slam dunk contest, and now no one can beat it, and they're all trying to do different dunks. When just go back and do the regulars really well and do them with flair and add, you know, add a little panache to the originals. And they have plenty of guys who can do that, but they don't they keep trying to make original dunks, and there's only so many things to do. It's like when a band is trying to sound different from everything else. And they just want to sound so different that they end up sounding like crap. Because they're, they're taking away every element that we wanted to see. That you could make the same dunk contest better again by just making it going back to basics and just having really, like dunking from the free throw line. There's probably 20 to 30 guys in the NBA who could do it. But if you just dunk from the free throw line now, it's not a 50 anymore because they want to see you do something when you're dunking. But at the time when Jordan did it, that was the greatest thing anybody ever saw. It's just the, the, the expectations have elevated further than the event. And, you know, life is life is about managing expectations. So you have to lower the expectations of the slam dunk contest to make it matter better. There's nothing they can do to fix it because the only way to fix it is, well, you know, we, we invented guy, we, we lower the the amount of gravity in the the stadium now so you can jump higher. That's, the, that's like the only way to fix it. And I don't think a lot of people are going to fix it. I don't think that's going to happen. So I don't have that issue. The slam dunk contest is what it is. Lower your expectations on it and let guys do some more old school dunks and we'll all have a much funner time and we'll try and get stars back in it. You'd love to see a Zion get into it. You'd love to see John Morant be healthy and get into it. Uh, you know, you'd love to see those guys go and take a shot at it. I'll give hats off to Jalen Brown for coming in and trying. Uh, didn't necessarily get the job done. Uh, <laughs> so Mac McClung gets another win there. But then we get to the main event. We get to the all-star game. And that's also part of the problem is that it is the main event. Uh, of a weekend that, you know, you get to Sunday, everybody's been having a good time all weekend long, and they're ready to see the best players in the world play. You look at that Western Conference All-Star team, and you think, man, this is one of the best groups of talent ever put together. You look at what that team can do, and you look at what the All-Star con- what the, what the Western All-Star team looked like, and you look at the East, and you go, that's a really good group of players, too. Joel Embiid was there. Man, it'd be even better. They end up winning. The East does. 211 to 186. It's a lot of points. Cat, Carl Anthony Towns puts up 50 points. Damian Lillard puts up 39, wins the MVP. There was 289 shots in the game. <laughs> they shot 168 threes. Now I saw I saw Bill Simmons come out today and Bill Simmons' idea to help fix the All-Star game is take away the three-point line. Take away the three-point line. They shot 168 threes in the game. Out of 289 shots, 168 of them were threes. People are just jacking up shots from half court. It's not that entertaining to watch guys throw up shots from half court and miss. It's fun when they hit them, but when they miss them, it's not really much fun. So they're just shooting threes because they're non-contact. They don't have to do as much. You know, it's easier shot. 
I get it. I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I think that it's harder to do because you're stepping backwards. When you do that, you take you're taking a step backwards, not forwards. And for the players, for the fans, for everybody else, the three-point line is such a big part of today's game that when you go to the All-Star game and you take it away, now it's going to be a dunk fest all game. But is that really much better if no one's playing rim protection? Or do people really go, wow, man, we saw a lot of great 18-foot jumpers. I, I don't know if that necessarily fully fixes the issue, which the real issue is the players do not want to compete. The players do not care, and it does not help with the foreign players that are coming in now and do not care one bit. Luka Doncic, after the game, when they asked him about the game, said, well, no one tries on defense, so why should I try on offense? And boy, he didn't. Jokic didn't really want to care, didn't care, didn't try. Giannis tried okay. He did the interview, which I don't know why they keep interviewing before these events. Like anything you know, optional, Giannis is going to have the response of, I'd rather be with my family. We know that, so why do we keep interviewing him and acting like he's going to be the spokesman for the league? But I, I, I keep seeing this where people want to make it uh, an event where it's better and they want to add more competition and they keep trying to find ways to add more competition. So I'll throw my hat in of what I think you could do to the all-star game, what my solution is, uh, or at least an idea to move the solution up. If you watch the rising stars uh, on Saturday or Friday, you watch the rising stars, you saw that team Powell lost to the G league players. Why? Because the G league players were going to go out there and try a little bit. They were trying to steal the ball. Now, they weren't playing top, top-level stuff, but they were playing. And enough guys on, on the Rising Stars thought, we don't have to play them. We'll just win, and we'll just do whatever, and we'll be able to come back in the end. And they couldn't come back in the end, and it got a little bit more competitive at the end, but a lot of guys were still too cool for school and didn't want to do it. But I think that's your key, is you have to level up the level of players, and you have to change the playing field a little bit. You have to look at the Rising Stars and say, okay, right now, we have the All-Stars playing the All-Stars. And all those guys, they're just as good friends with the guys on the other team as they are with the guys on their own team. There's no real loyalty east to west. There's no loyalty of the teams you get picked on. But if you now say, we're going to put the same kind of format we did for Rising Stars, which was four teams, each play uh, a matchup to 40. I'd make it 50 for the All-Stars, but each to 40 is what they did in the Rising Stars. And then a Finals. Uh, the two teams that win. And I would make the first game, it doesn't matter, you can change up which order, but the first game is Western Conference All-Stars versus the Eastern Conference Rising Stars. And then the next game is the Eastern Conference All-Stars versus the Western Conference Rising Stars. And go put out there and put the players out there in a matchup where they're going to have to either play basketball or get beat by guys that they don't want to get beat by. And I know you're still risking that a lot of these guys do not care at all, and you put enough team on the bench that you can bench them. And if Luka doesn't want to play, fine. Luka doesn't play. He doesn't get to be an all-star. You say, okay, you lose that ability. You don't play. We're going to take that away. You got voted an all-star. You're not going to play. We don't care. You don't want to be a part of the NBA. You don't want that. Cool. We're going to take away as much as we can and financially try and burden you for not caring about helping the NBA. Because that's all that's going to matter. And you can't do too much, but you can try and take it away, not let him be on TV, let his shoe sponsorship get pissed off at him because he wasn't on the court. And you say, why? Because I didn't care. You know, we're going to debut these shoes, but now no one cares because you were on the bench the whole time in your sweats. So you try and do that, and you go put him out there. And I know, and then how do you make the rising stars? Same way you made G League. You give a, you give a money prize. And money prizes to the rising stars, they're going to care. 
Because that whatever million dollars or $2 million, whatever you can get from your sponsor to get that money to give to spread out to the rising stars, well, that's real money to them because they're all on rookie contracts. So even though they have sponsorships and other stuff, that's real money to a 22-year-old kid. There's some real money involved in that that maybe the 35-year-old or maybe 32-year-old, whatever, is not going to care about the same way. So you make it, and you put those in there, and you try to get a real matchup out of them. And then if you do get East versus West, then they're going to play a shorter game against each other. You try and put together that fourth quarter uh, matchup that you have that used to be in the games where everybody thinks, man, these games were super competitive five years ago. And when Kobe was playing, those games were competitive. The games weren't competitive when Kobe played. The fourth quarters were competitive. And I think the fourth quarter could have been competitive in this game. Could have been competitive if if the game wasn't out of hand by the time that it got there. Then maybe it would have been competitive in the fourth quarter. But I think that you could add into some uh, some pressure of the matchup by making these younger players get out. And also, when you do that, when you talk about the rest of the league and people caring about the game, the reality is there's 18 teams represented by the All-Stars. 18. That leaves 12 teams that did not have anybody they cared about in that game. Nobody. There was not a person that we had a representative, nobody that we could care about in that game. Well, now the Rising Stars... They have 14 teams that were involved in that, nine more that were not involved in the All-Stars. There was 27 teams, if you combine those two rosters right now, uh, Brooklyn, Chicago, and uh, Memphis did not have teams represented. And at the end of the day, you can find for those three. But then you make it, all 30 teams are represented, you're representing your people. So you add all those in, I think you can get them to start caring a little bit more when they see these young guys that shouldn't be beating them, that are coming down and playing hard against them, and when you get those young guys and you put money in and they start playing defense, do the Western Conference, do the Western Conference All Stars start caring when they're about to get beat up by by the rising stars, by guys in their rookie and sophomore season? Do they maybe have a little bit more pride you can get out of them if you do that? I don't know. But I think it's worth a shot. It's worth instead of hoping that eventually they'll care one day playing against each other. No, don't let their friends play against them. Put them against the guys that aren't their friends because they're rookies and sophomores. They're their subordinates. They're people that are below them. And make them play against guys that are below them and give the guys below them a chance to go out there and prove that they will give it a game. That's what I would do. And speaking of adding teams, what I would do, help out the slam dunk contest, I would have one person from every single team in the NBA submit a dunk or two and let people vote online who's going to be in the slam dunk contest. Best voting, best dunks in the prelims get put in so we don't necessarily get a bad matchup of guys that can't really do great dunks. You get you know the best dunkers in there, so you have to pick whoever you're picking from each team. If there's someone on your team who doesn't want to do it, then you can't put them, but maybe you get a little better shot to get somebody in there if you picked all 30 teams. I'm just trying to involve everybody in these rounds. I think it would be a good move. That's what I would do if I was commissioner. I know Adam Silver's looking. That's what I would do. I would try and involve the rising stars. I would involve the young guys and try and pull the punk card of the all-stars when they're down by 15 points to the young guys because they thought they could walk in and do it. Can you pull their punk card? Do they have enough pride to go after that? I don't know. Maybe they don't have any pride anymore. Maybe it's so stupid to them that you just have to throw it all out. I don't know if you want to try the baseball thing and 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 make it the home court advantage. I know you don't want to do that, but so you got to do something because man, they just keep getting worse and worse. But that's my idea.
What do you think? Text lines open 512-447-3776. 512-447-3776 is the text line. You take a break. Come back, get to the text line. Got some sound for you about, uh, about Micah Parsons and the, the sound. We'll maybe play that Bart Scott sound too. And we'll keep talking about uh, Micah and his story of today. Is he soft or not? We'll get to that when we come back on the other side here on the Sports Complex and the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons only on the Horn. Back on the Sports Complex on Monday afternoon. Talk some All-Star. We've talked some Texas baseball. We've talked some Texas basketball, some Big 12 basketball. Moving right along. We want to talk about a story that has come out today, a story that's been around the Cowboys a little bit, uh, about Micah Parsons, and uh, that uh, Micah Parsons has been getting a little bit gra- a little bit of grief, that he is somebody that is a big piece for the Cowboys' success, and uh, he has been talked about a lot with their failure for success, especially in this year's playoff and the defense not showing up. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about it today. They talked about it this morning. Listen to that. We'll talk about it here on the show, too. Uh, but I want to play the, the hook em up replay. We'll get their opinion, and then we'll come back and tell, give you ours. When we, come, uh, when we play a little hook em up replay here, talking about Micah Parsons. And, uh, you know, you got to talk about the Cowboys. It's the offseason. It's, it's what Jerry wants. So we're going to talk about it. It's a hook em up replay here on the Sports Complex. All right, so uh, Michael Parsons over the uh, the All Star weekend he got a chance to sit down with Stephen A. Smith. I'm assuming because Stephen A. Smith was coaching him in the celebrity All Star game, which, by the way, Michael won MVP, had 37 points uh, in that uh, All Star game. Actually, ended up with uh, 16 rebounds and four steals. Won the MVP. Had a really good game. Also, sat down with Stephen A. Smith too. Had a number of uh, different topics that they discussed. One of the clips. It's a little lengthy, but it's pretty good. He talks about his relationship with Jerry Jones and how, and whether you like this or not, Cowboys fans, how uh, close they are. And Jerry Jones, the, G- the general manager, Jerry Jones, um, that he also is open to the suggestions from Michael Parsons about how to build and how to construct the roster on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, it's a little lengthy, but it's some good meat here on this bone. So here's Michael Parsons talking to Stephen A. Smith about um, his relationship with the owner slash GM of the Cowboys, Jerry Jones. You brought up how you want to be a part of the culture in terms of picking the kind of players that y'all need. Is that something that you mentioned to Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, like, Yo, let me, let me see. Let me play a role at who, who are we bringing on this squad mentally. Do you do you approach them about stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I like about Jay. Um, and which I was dope. I think Jay's one of the best uh, GM like owners that I've been around, and not even just I've been around because I've only been on one team. But from what I've heard from other uh, NBA and NFL players, and, and, and it's just like this: the Super Bowl. Jerry sees me walking out the win. Jerry was at the win. He says, "Hey, you going to the Super Bowl?" I said, yeah, um, I'm going. He said, 
come come see us. And I was like, hey, you got any extra tickets? You know, I got some homeboys that want to come. Jerry sends me four extra tickets to the Super Bowl suite. Um, and we just sit and talk from before the game until the whole half about players I want to bring in, players I want to be around, who do I need, who do I want to be with, future of our team. Um, and that's just dope to have that type of feedback with an owner that, you know, loves to hear your ideas and what you think and where the team can be. And, you know, Jerry's been, you know, pretty amazing about that with my family and stuff like that. So I've had had them conversations with him and we spoke for two, three hours just since we go alone. When you told him what you thought the team needed, what did you say? I'm not asking for names. I'm talking about what you alluded to when it comes to culture, personality, et cetera. What specifically were your words to Jerry about what the Dallas Cowboys are missing and what they need? So I told Jerry, I said, look at every team that kind of um, was in that Final Four. Who do they have? San Francisco, Detroit. Okay. 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 Who did Baltimore have? A great linebacker core, right? Uh, who did San Fran have? Great linebacker core. KC, Bolton and uh, – uh, they came along. I said, we need to get us another, we need to get another bigger linebacker who's going to come down. In. And I said, we need to get an, a super 330 nasty interior. Look what, how Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave caused rack havoc in, you know, um, the last two games. Uh, look at, you know, how um, Ali McNeil, Detroit, and they front with Hutchinson and all them. Um, you know, it's just certain things where I was like, I was pinpointing we can build in this because we're slim. Like, we have guys, and I think Osa's been great for us, and, uh, you know, but we just need a big old 330, can't move. Because I saw the way Chris Jones affected that Super Bowl, and I was like, my God, like. You need a big boy. Get yeah. the bass and clogging up the line of scrimmage. Making yeah. things happen, right? and, and not even just Chris Jones, Mike Pennell. Oh, yeah. Like. You know, I think we got a lot of rushers. I think Osa, he could play inside, outside, one of the most versatile uh, DTs. And, um, you know, when we lost Hank, he's a he's a big dude. Um, but we need to get one of them big old nasty pass rushing, get going. Marcus Lawrence. Okay, so that's interesting because what he talks about there is a big old nasty nose tackle that can be stout at the point of attack. They just drafted Mozzie Smith, who is essentially was supposed to be that. Now, Dan Quinn's vision, I think, was different. I think they wanted him to lose some weight so they can play him in multiple shades up front. But he was supposed to be just a old-school nose tackle. And that they, they I don't know, they put him on a diet and he lost weight or just he just never developed into that. He hadn't developed into it yet. All right, so that's strange that he wants a big old-school nose tackle. That's what they drafted in the first round in Mozzie Smith. And he wants a thumping linebacker to help him to be kind of a compliment to him at that off-ball linebacker spot when they put him there. I think most of that is due to, you know, Leighton Vander Esch is a run stuffer, especially in Dan Quinn's system. He was really successful. Remember they brought in a Jonathan Hankins to help them be kind of the run stuff and D-tackle. The, all the pieces that he's describing, the Cowboys have actually went out of their way to target those types of players. Now, DeMarvin Overshone, not a run-stuffing linebacker. He's more of a hybrid linebacker that's a, a pass-first in terms of his, his skill set, right? He can defend the pass-first. They can teach him to be a run-stuffing linebacker, but that's what the Cowboys were missing, so he's not wrong. It's just interesting that they drafted Mozzie Smith 
and it seems like you know he either he's not happy with Mozzie Smith or he doesn't see Mozzie Smith developing into that. I wouldn't doubt if that Mike Zimmer system coming in though that he does target a player like a Tavondre Sweat in the second round. Going after a D tackle again in the first round that seems a little bit ill-advised considering. You know, you got to give Mozzie Smith some time to work out. But I wouldn't doubt the Cowboys went for an old-school, nasty nose tackle like that. Tavondre Sweat's probably the best example in the draft right now of one of those players he's describing. That's just big enough, has enough mass to take up multiple gaps on the front, on the defensive line, and can demand a double team and can switch up from being a force-run defender to being an elite pressure defender if they can, if he reaches his ceiling, and maybe the Cowboys need to start stockpiling multiple players like that, and maybe in Zimmer's system, and he's going to run more of a old school over front. Um, maybe that's exactly what the Cowboys need. And honestly, it's going to be interesting to see what Mike Zimmer does with Mike, Michael Parsons, because. Dan Quinn's system was perfect for weaponizing Michael Parsons because he was a hybrid and he would move him around that very multiple defense that was malleable. There's much less malleability um, and much less multiplicity within Zimmer's defense. And those are the kind of athletes that they have right now. So it's, it's just interesting that he brings it up. The, the truth is Michael Parsons doesn't want to be a, run, a force run defender. He's got all the elite skills to be a elite run defender as well as an elite, uh, you know, elite pressure uh, defender as well. But he doesn't value being a run defender. And that's why teams to, to really adjust to the Cowboys, the simple adjustments is become a power running team like what Green Bay did, like what San Fran is, because they cannot – you basically turn Michael Parsons, their best defensive player, into a liability. He becomes a weakness yep. because he's not a good run defender, even though he could be an elite run defender because there's nothing stopping him from being an elite run defender except for him. And that's what I think ultimately this should be about, about him – looking at in the man in the mirror moment and looking at his own skill set and seeing how he needs to evolve his skill set. He's an elite pass rusher, but he's a mediocre to average to below average run defender. Yeah, and he clear remember he told Dan Quinn or he said he was going to be a pass rusher and Dan was like, "No, you're you're still going to be the weapon." Yeah. You can tell that's kind of what he wants his uh his yep. role to be. Um you, but again, I said this earlier, but you know when he's He's kind of calling out his own team. He kind of called out his own GM because you're right. They just, did, just drafted Mozzie Smith, they just drafted him. who's six three three thirty. Exactly what he said. Uh, he's on your team right now. Trash. Um, I just, I mean, I wish that answer would have started with, "Look, I need to play a lot better. I need to bring it more. I need to be a better leader." All those things instead of starting to talk about what they don't have, because you, you know, it, it, whether you're meaning to or not, you're you're down talking your own players, yeah, your own teammates. Um, because we need better linebackers. Well, you have linebackers on your team. <laughs> so you're saying they're not any good. Uh, you know, you have Mozzie Smith and Hankins he talked about, and you have, uh, you know, O.C. Digazua. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure those guys here that aren't appreciative of, come on, man. Uh, we, yeah. we, we had a top five defense this year. We had a top three defense this year. We didn't play good in one game. They do need a run stuffer. I don't disagree. I just uh, I think Micah talks too much. I just think Micah's out he, there talking too much. He does talk a lot, yeah. But Jerry likes – that's the culture of Jerry Jones, though. Yes. Jerry Jones likes talkers. I know. Well, and then the idea of him yeah. sitting in the booth with Jerry talking during the Super Bowl, that's fine. Let's, let's hope Jerry's 
listening to his football people more than Micah Parsons. I think we can all see they need to stop the run better. So how do you address that? But but to to your point, I mean, they did draft Mozzie Smith. They drafted DeMarvion Overshone last year, uh, another guy that they didn't get anything from because he was hurt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know that, that's, that's a challenge for them right now. But Micah Parsons, uh, you know, talk, coming up, Rod, uh, we're going to hear apparently Bart Scott, the always opinion Bart Scott was on the uh, oh yeah the Get Up show this morning on on First Take or ESPN whatever it is and he was uh, he's not a big fan of Michael Parsons apparently we'll get to that coming up because he talks a lot he talks a lot it's, it's it's all about the mouthpiece he talks a lot yeah podcasts and uh, remember hey. during the season when Micah was talking about goes on his podcast about how how they, why do they get criticized so much man just just shut up and play yeah just shut up and play yeah. and and you can't to talk about other players when in the biggest game of the year against the Packers you had a, a tackle and a half. Yeah. And had zero impact on the game. He did not have an impact because well, they ran the ball. Yeah, the way you make him an uh, an impactless player is to for, make him a run defender. Well, then then that's what he look. I need to be better against the run, Stephen A. I need to make sure from the point of attack, I'm doing my job to stop the run, and then then we need X, Y, and Z. Um, I, I get that, but yes, I mean in the game where you guys gave up 48 points on your home field against the yeah. the seven seed, yeah, and you had no impact on the game. Don't sit here and talk about. Chris Jones, yeah, he has impact on every big game game. Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. he's a game record. Wait a minute, did you just say shut up and dribble? Is that what you just said? <laughs> no, shut up and <laughs> What do you mean? Uh, well, he's well, he's just talking about how Micah – Micah does talk a lot. He does. Micah talks a, a lot. And it's good for him and it's good for the brand. The Cowboys don't mind it at all. But you could, there are times where you could argue that he's not always backing it up. That You know what I mean? And that, that Green Bay game, that's a prime example of it. Yeah, it is. It's that walking the fine line. Uh, good stuff there from Hook 'em Up with Ian Rod B. Walking the fine line of shut up and play, and uh, and not being the guy to say shut up. But you, you can talk, but you can't not produce. And then say, well, it's not my fault I didn't produce. That's really the bigger issue with Micah Parsons right now. Is that he wants to blame other people? He wants to say that he has all the fixes, but all the fixes seem to be revolving around him doing what he wants to do. And if they make him that, but you do have to make him a better player. Uh, we'll see. Maybe he maybe he was falling out of love with Dan Quinn at the end. Maybe Mike Zimmer will be able to bring some good things to him. All right, let's take our last break. We'll come back. We'll keep talking about Michael Parsons and whatever else you want to talk about on the text line. 512-447-3776 is the text line. Uh, we will get to uh, wrap up the text line, wrap up Michael Parsons, wrap up everything here. Uh, we come back and uh, hit, the, uh, hit the end of the show here on the, the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019, AM 1260, The Horn app, and hornfm.com. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Last call. So either hook up now or go home and take care of yourselves. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Bring a pitcher of beer every seven minutes till somebody passes out. And then bring one every 10 minutes. I'm very drunk, and I intend getting still drunker before the evening's over. All right, wrapping things up here on the Sports Complex on a Monday afternoon. Appreciate you guys hanging with me. Uh, Get to the end of the text line here before we get out of here. Someone thought up uh, they should use ankle weights in the slam dunk contest. I think that might hurt us. I said we got to go 0G before. We do need to get... Uh, Mac McClung, a sponsorship with those moon shoes, and I don't know if they still make them or they I, the ones that uh, Jimmy sells in Seinfeld that makes Jimmy jump high. Jimmy's got to love them. Those shoes, <laughs> yeah, that is what uh, 
Uh, that's what we need. Mag McClung needs to get that sponsorship immediately for how it jumps. <laughs> and then Nate says, uh, there's only one way to make it better, strippers, which I don't know if you want them Indiana strippers, Nate. I don't know if that's what you're going for. It may be backfire on you. And he'll say, remember when Mozzie says he doesn't even like football, he just likes hitting people. That's not the right attitude. No, the right attitude. They, the, the, the attitude on the Cowboys seems to be like 12 different types of attitude, and none of them seem to be necessarily the right one. Uh, Jerry wants to be friends with everybody. We talked about that. It's hard if it, to make everybody your friend and have a culture where everyone's competitive enough that they want to do anything to win and anyone wants to be the best. It's hard to do that, and I don't know if they've found that way yet. Uh, Micah Parsons, you know, you at some point you're going to have to tell him that he's not the smartest guy in the room. He's really, really good, but you're not the best and you're not the smartest, and if you want to be, you may have to work a little bit harder and try and expand your steel skin. He's really good, but he's not the best. And so stop pretending or stop acting like you're the best because you're not. So you have to fix those. That's the problem with him right now is he talks a lot like he is, but that's like Draymond. He's just way better than Draymond. <laughs> but that's why he's going to get people that are always going to be hating on him. All right. We're going to get out of here, but room for Texas tonight needs a big win over Kansas state. Uh, Chan, I love it. Hook him tonight. Uh, yeah. Big win tonight, hopefully, for over Kansas State. Get a big win. Get back on the right track. Get Max Aceman to hit some points so we can get going forward again. Dylan DeSue needs a big game tonight. I see it coming. You know, get some hope. Get some hope going into Big 12. Show us that you still got some fight. I just want to see his team fight at the end of the season. It could get real, it could get real, real ugly. I don't want to see that. I want to see him show some fight tonight. Hopefully that's what we'll see. Uh we'll get into that. We'll get into uh, uh the big Iowa State Houston matchup as well tomorrow. Uh, more into some football talk tomorrow. We want a lot of basketball heavy today. We'll get into some football tomorrow, too. Uh, but until then, be kind, be safe, keep your underwear clean. We'll see you right back here tomorrow for more The Sports Complex.